Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with your host, astrologer and author, April Elliott Kent. Hello, invisible friend, April here, and the date today is June 20th, 2022. Welcome to episode 128 of the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. This week, a soulful last quarter moon in Pisces, Venus makes a trine to Pluto and enters Gemini, and the Sun enters Cancer, ushering in the summer solstice in the Northern Hemisphere and the winter solstice in the Southern Hemisphere. Beginning the week, Mercury makes a sextile aspect to Jupiter on June 20th. At 12.44 a.m. Pacific Time, Jupiter in Aries is moving quickly and instinctively. But Mercury in Gemini is a little bit like a GPS that's going to help you get exactly where you're going more efficiently. Mercury in Gemini is about gaining intelligence and information that can make success possible. And it's also about enlisting others to your cause. So Jupiter would be the cause, the thing that you're trying to accomplish. And Mercury really talks about connections with other people, with networking, and with a brain trust who can help give you the information and the tools that you need to have success. Now for the moon report for the week of June 20th. It begins with a last quarter moon at 29 degrees and 46 minutes of Pisces on June 20th at 8.11 p.m. The moon is in a conjunction with Neptune, and it also receives good aspects from Venus in Taurus and Pluto in Capricorn. And the sun is in a trine aspect to Saturn. But the sun and moon are both at 29 degrees at this quarter moon, and that's significant. The 29th degree always gives us this feeling that we're struggling to finish something up before we go on to the next thing. So this is a critical make-it-or-break-it time, it feels, for many of us. This is also the last critical phase of the lunar phase family, the lunar gestation cycle that began with the March 24th, 2020 new moon. And that, of course, was about the time that things started closing down here in the U.S. due to the pandemic. Something much more like normalcy has returned. And this is the phase for looking back over the last two and a quarter years or so and contemplating what could have gone better. And we've had a series of lunations or aspects over the last three to six months that have been little way stations where we paused and reassessed and thought if we were to be faced with a similarly overwhelming and difficult crisis in the world, how could we respond more effectively? And what can we learn is always the last quarter moon question. What can we learn? from what's gone before. Now, this is the last quarter moon in Pisces, which is an empathetic sign and encourages us, I think, to look back with a certain amount of compassion, not just for others, but for ourselves as well. 
And we're not always going to react perfectly in every situation or every crisis that comes our way. In fact, the new moon that began this lunar phase family was in Aries. It was at four degrees and 12 minutes of Aries. And that is much more of an emergency oriented sign. And collectively, as a society, we didn't necessarily handle all of the decisions related to the pandemic perfectly, nor do we handle anything perfectly because we're humans and we are imperfect. The last quarter moon invites us to reflect without judgment, to ask, what did we learn about ourselves during the last two and a quarter years? And what is it that we want to do in the last part of this phase family over the next nine months to prepare for the next challenge? Let's take a look at the Void of Course moon periods for this week. The first is on June 20th, after the moon in Pisces makes its square to the sun, making that last quarter moon at 8.11 p.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for just under one half hour, a very fleeting void, of course, period, because, of course, the moon and sun are both at the end of their signs. Then the moon enters Aries at 8.37 p.m. Pacific time. So this is a very short void, of course, period. Probably if you are in, say, Australia, that part of the world, then you're getting this one in the afternoon for just about a half hour. That might be a time to take a coffee break or something and sit back for a little bit of reflection. But really, this isn't probably going to be a very consequential void of course moon period, other than the fact that it's this last quarter moon that kicks it off. So it is a little more consequential. We'll feel the after effects of that until the new moon at the end of the month. Then on June 23rd, the moon in Aries makes a square aspect to Pluto at 1.02 a.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for about four hours and enters Taurus at 4.58 a.m. Pacific time. Again, here in the United States, that's more or less the middle of the night. Probably not going to be doing a lot with that, although we might have some interesting dreams and you don't want to fall asleep, as I often say with these final aspects to Pluto. Don't want to fall asleep necessarily listening to something that could be disturbing. So in Europe, you're where you're about eight hours ahead, five to eight hours ahead of where we are here in the U.S., this is taking place in the morning about 9 a.m. through 1 p.m. So this would be a good morning to do the kinds of work that we recommend on a void of course moon which has to do with reviewing and reassessing habits. This is especially true when the moon finishes on a difficult aspect of Pluto, as it does here. So this is a good day to cultivate new habits that are life-affirming. So things that are good for your health, exercise, dietary changes, but also mindset changes. When you come across emotions that feel really self-defeating, training yourself to respond differently. And this comes down to things often like meditation, other kinds of practices that can kind of help you pay attention to your thoughts 
and steer them in a more productive direction. And finally, on June 25th, the moon in Taurus makes a trine aspect to Pluto at 12.02 p.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for about four hours before entering Gemini at 4.13 p.m. Pacific time. Here in the United States, this is probably the most impactful void, of course, moon period for the week. And it's a nice one. The moon is in Taurus, one of its best signs, and it's in a positive aspect with Pluto. The changes that you contemplated on that last void, of course, moon on the 23rd, or that were happening maybe on an unconscious level while you slept, but now is the opportunity to really put those changes into action and to implement them, and that they'll go pretty smoothly. So it was an awakening and awareness at the point of course moon on the 23rd. But on the 25th, maybe we have an opening and opportunity to really make changes in a way that's not too difficult and that can be really lasting. On June 21st at 1.23 a.m. Pacific Time, Venus makes a trine aspect to Pluto. Venus is about how we draw to ourselves the things that we want. And when Venus aspects Pluto, unless we're very conscious, we can end up easily magnetizing things to ourselves that don't end up ultimately bringing us pleasure. But this is also a planetary combination that speaks of being able to find pleasure and beauty in whatever circumstances we may find ourselves. There's a little story that I wanted to share with you that I've written about a couple of times on my website. I always think of it when we're having aspects between Venus and Pluto. I copied it from another source, and I'll give the attribution in the show notes. I don't have them right here with me. But here is the story that violinist Itzhak Perlman was crippled by polio in childhood and walks with the aid of braces on his legs and a pair of crutches. At a concert on the night of November 18, 1995, at Avery Fisher Hall in New York City, one of the strings of his violin suddenly snapped during the performance. Stunned, the audience held their collective breath, expecting Perlman to stop and leave the stage. Instead, he paused, then continued playing, adjusting, creating, compensating as he went along. And when he put down his bow at the end of the concert, a mighty roar of applause filled the hall. When it had died down, he spoke to the audience and said, you know, sometimes it's the artist's task to find out how much music you can still make with what you have left. And I love this story so much for Venus and Pluto. Venus is, of course, a planet of music. And Pluto is about doing what we can when circumstances have brought us down to our bare bones and left us without anything extraneous. That's when we really find out who we are and what we're made of. And Venus and Pluto together give us an opportunity to make something beautiful of that. And from that, it's that anybody, for instance, could make a beautiful home if they had millions of dollars and good taste. But 
over and over again, I find myself watching, say, YouTube videos of people living out in the wilds and homesteading and making these beautiful, comforting spaces, almost luxurious spaces, out of very humble materials and with very little beyond what's necessary for the essentials of daily life. So that's just something for you to chew on while Venus is trying Pluto on June 21st. On the next day, June 22nd, at 5.34 p.m. Pacific time, Venus leaves Taurus and enters Gemini through July 17th. If we consider Venus talks about how we draw others to us and also what draws us to others, then while it's in Gemini, we'll be very entranced by words and by the way people use them. So this is about cultivating a beautiful way of expressing yourself. It's about storytelling as a means of enchantment or a beautiful voice, showing love to siblings. Venus is love, Gemini is siblings. Enjoying travel, which many of us are doing this summer, some for the first time in a long time. Think, as Venus is in Gemini, how you can make your speech, your communication, your words more beautiful. Hey there, Invisible Friend. It's April here. I sure hope you're enjoying the podcast. I love bringing it to you each week, all of the breaking news of the sky happenings we all share. But how about the way it's all playing out in your own birth chart? Sometimes you just want to talk with someone about it, right? Well, make that someone me. Whether you're having some really big things happening in your life right now, or you just want to get to know yourself a little better, you can book a 60 or 90 minute reading with me wherever you are in the world via the miracle of Zoom. I can even record it for you so you have an indelible record of our wonderful time together. Just follow the link to personal readings at my website, bigskyastrology.com. That's bigskyastrology.com. I look forward to speaking with you soon. Bye for now. On June 21st, the sun enters Cancer at 2.14 a.m. Pacific time. This marks the summer solstice in the northern hemisphere and the winter solstice in the southern hemisphere. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But when the sun enters Cancer from our northern hemisphere perspective, it's a season of gestation. If we think about the sun going through Gemini as a time of pollination, of gathering from one source and taking it to another source, then the sun entering Cancer is when the process of gestation, of sitting still and letting something incubate and develop, takes place. So here in the Northern Hemisphere, we think of summer, the sun in Cancer initiating the summer season as being, especially when we were children, a time of leisure, when we got time off school and we maybe went on vacations with our family. Families were also ruled by cancer, of course. 
So it was a slow, quiet time of not doing a whole lot and enjoying that sense of standing still as the sun does at the summer solstice. Then when the sun moves into Leo, is when we begin to give birth to something creative. So during this quarter of the year, until the Libra equinox in late September, there are a few notable things that will be going on. Mars will enter Taurus on July 4th, after it's been blazing through Aries and connecting with Jupiter in Aries. Mars going into Taurus will be the time to slow down a little bit, and stop moving so quickly for a while. And then Mars will enter Gemini on August 20th, where it will eventually turn retrograde on October 30th. So that's going to be a protracted period of Mars being in Gemini. Also during this part of the year, we'll have another Mercury retrograde between September 9th and October 2nd. So you can mark that on your calendar now. And try to arrange your affairs in such a way that you can be a little more unscheduled during that period. It doesn't always work out that way. We live in a modern world. We run by clocks and schedules. But that's not how Mercury retrograde likes to operate. So see if you can plan ahead and make it a little bit of a less structured time. Also, during this Cancerian quarter of the year, in the United States, we'll have the second exact Pluto return for the U.S. chart on July 11th. The first was on February 22nd, and the last will be on December 28th. I've mentioned the Pluto return for the United States on a couple of different episodes, so I'll go through and find those and link them for you in the show notes so you can be reminded of some of the things we're looking for this year with this particular return. I know on February 24th, just two days after the first exact Pluto return, was the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has been consequential for the world, and specifically, I think, for the U.S. as a test of its world leadership, which would fit with the symbolism of the Pluto return. So we'll take a look and see what comes up specifically around the time of July 11th and this second Pluto return. We don't have a specific listener question this week, but there was a topic that I have been asked about many times before. And I recently came across uh, some work another astrologer is doing that I thought's really interesting and just wanted to throw that out to you. Now, as many of you know, in modern astrology, Western astrologers use what's called the tropical zodiac. And this means that we use the placement of the planets not against the backdrop of the actual position of the stars, but rather we use a system that lines up the first day of spring with zero degrees of Aries. So the system that we use, the tropical system, reflects our experience of the seasons here on Earth and uses that as our compass in our charts. 
But the question has sometimes been asked of me, and frankly, I've wondered myself, if tropical astrology is based on the seasons, how can it work in the Southern Hemisphere where the seasons are opposite what they are here in the Northern Hemisphere? I've wondered about this for personal reasons because I'm married to somebody from the Southern Hemisphere. And I was kind of wondered about it because when I write about astrology, it's very seasonally based. It's how I experience it. And I've thought Aries means spring to me. Cancer means summer. It has a particular feeling when I think about it. Whereas if you are in a place below the equator or born in a place below the equator, of course, the actual experience of the weather and the season and the lights is 180 degrees from what it is here in the north. So there have been over the years, I think, a a few attempts by astrologers to come up with a way of contending with this great difference between the hemispheres. And last weekend, I listened to a recording by an astrologer I really like a lot. His name's Nathan Theo Niker. He's from South Africa, and I will link to his website in the show notes. He's done a lot of research about this question. He's looked at many, many charts. He said that he found that when he was talking to people born in the Southern Hemisphere, using our usual tropical symbolism, they didn't really react with as much of an emphatic yes as when he was talking to people who were born in the Northern Hemisphere. And so he started reading their charts with the planets in the signs 180 degrees opposite. So if he were reading a chart for somebody who was born in early August, he would read them not as a Leo, but as an Aquarian. So this is what he's proposed doing for people born below the equator. And his webinar gave a very compelling thesis and his examples were really convincing. I have tried it Looking at my husband's chart, the two of us together, and we're kind of going, well, is Johnny really a Aries with a Sag rising and a Scorpio moon? It just doesn't feel right. But of course, that's very subjective. And I still find it a really interesting idea. So In particular, if you were born south of the equator and you find yourself really not resonating with the descriptions of your chart that you read or that an astrologer offers you, definitely I would recommend that you look at this method. Inverting your chart is pretty easily done if you use software like SolarFire. And I will put together a quick video on this to show you how to do it. I'll also look at my copy of Astro Gold. I have it on a computer. I don't have access to very often, but I'll go in there and see if I'm able to do it easily there and explain how to do it. And likewise in astro.com, where I know a lot of people go to do their charts. But to begin with, it's probably as simple as knowing that if you're born with the ascendant at 22 Gemini, 
Then if you use this method, it would be 22 Sagittarius if you were born in the Southern Hemisphere. So it's an interesting idea. I think the work that he's doing is fantastic. And, you know, I was talking before in this episode about Venus going into Gemini and about the importance of drawing people to you with your words. And oh my gosh, listening to now the, of course, I really like different kinds of accents, but he has a very mellifluous voice. (laughs) So I'll find a video for you where you can take a look on YouTube and Listen not only to the really interesting things he has to say, but the lovely way that he says them. If you have a burning question about astrology, some fine point of astrology that you're grappling with or trying to learn and would like to know more about, leave a voicemail of one minute or less at speakpipe.com forward slash big sky astrology podcast. I'd really love to hear more voicemails from you, but I do welcome your emails as well if you prefer to do it that way. Write to me, April at BigSkyAstrology.com, and be sure to put podcast question in the subject line. Well, that is everything I have on my show sheet, so I'm going to wrap this one up. Thank you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe or follow the show in your app of choice. Ratings and reviews are always welcome, and I'd love it if you help spread the word by telling a friend about the show. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at BigSkyAstropod.com. I'd also love to remind you that I also write a weekly column that sometimes goes into a little more detail on some of the things that I cover on the podcast, or at least approaches them in a slightly different way, because I write much differently than I speak. So give that a try too. It's BigSkyAstrology.com and sign up for my mailing list. You'll find a link there on the front page to help you do that. I want to thank everybody who's shown support for the podcast over the past year. Each week, I'm thanking some of you by name. This week, let's give a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to Sarah Smith, Julia Weeman, and Roxanne Kennedy. Sarah, Julia, and Roxanne, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting the show with your donations. If you would like to support the show, please go to BigSkyAstropod.com where it will be abundantly clear how you can do so. That is it for this episode. Join me again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, visit her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thoughtful essays, find out more about her books and classes, or book a personal astrology reading. That's all for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow or subscribe to stay current with new episodes, and please leave a rating or review. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook or Twitter and Big Sky Astrology April on Instagram. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you'll join us next time.